Welcome to the Hidden Bookcase. Come through and get cozy. Pick a book, your favorite book. That's the one that opens this room. Inside, you'll find a warm fire, a loving cat, and a wide skylight to the stars. And a dangerously high to be read pile. I'm Morgan, I use they-them pronouns, and I am a murderous child. I'm Soren, I use he-him pronouns, and I am an entire plate of scones. And I'm Jen, and I am one of Ken's flamingo pink balls of wool. Soren and I have been friends for over a decade, and the two of us are always swapping books. Each fortnight, the two of us, sometimes with help from a friend, take it in turns to recommend one another a favourite read. The first-time reader tells us what they know about the book, makes some predictions about what they don't, and then we discuss our thoughts with all of you bookworms. On our shelf this month is Cozy Fantasy. So today, let's get to talking about... The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches by Sangu Mandana. So, Morgan, you recommended me this book, but Jen is along for the ride because you've also read this book. How did you guys find out about this book? I was thinking about it. I ended up discovering this book through, I think originally it was Tasha Shuri, who is the author of The Jasmine Throne, which is one of my favorite books ever. Through her Instagram, she had shared it before I think it even had a cover and she was talking about it. I'm like, I need to remember this. I promptly forgot it because my memory is a sieve. Then I think... I think it was through Meg from Meg's Tea Room on TikTok, recommending her countless cozy fantasies. I was like, I remember this and I need it now. So I ended up getting it through that. Yeah, that's how I found out about it. I, I'm not exactly sure how I found it. I know that I got it as an arc on NetGalley and I listened to it during my very unhinged week when I was home alone in the middle of August. I didn't remember it very well, I can't lie. And then I promptly got very excited about it to everybody I knew. Oh my god, I was the same. I read it and I was screaming in my group chat with my friends. I'm like, everybody needs to read this. And the two people that I have convinced to read it have given it five stars. So we love to see it. (laughs) Pretty strong chart record. Exactly. And can you guys tell me what it's about? This book is about Mika Moon, who is a witch from Britain. She's part of a society of witches. And at one point, she gets a message from a man named Ian, who is part of a found family of people who are desperately looking for a tutor to help them with their three young witches at somewhere called Nowhere House. And it's a cozy, atmospheric read. It's got grumpy sunshine. It's got found family. It's just the best. Okay, before we get too ahead of ourselves, let's do my blind reaction. I'm so curious. I can't remember how much I told you about this book before we started it. So... I know The Secret Society, or The Very Secret Society, pardon me, of Irregular Witches is a romance, straight romance, shock horror, um, but what I know about this book mostly comes from when Morgan recommended it on the show a few episodes back. They mentioned the gay grandpas, they mentioned murderous children, uh, the protagonist is a live-in tutor, I think, for a pack of murderous witch children. I don't know how actually murderous they are, if that's exaggerated, but we'll see she arrives at this strange house to tutor these children. She herself is a witch, and I'm assuming that her love interest is also a witch. Maybe he's the father of these children. Maybe it's like... Ah, oh, what's that classic novel? I can't remember, but you you know what I mean. Um, and speaking of classic novels, I think there's a persuasion quote in this that becomes prominent. I think it's associated with the couple, the I am half agony, half hope quote. And maybe that's just a fandom thing that it reminds people of the main couple. Um, is there anything else? Mika is the name of the main protagonist, or maybe Micah, I'm not sure how it's pronounced. That, I believe, is everything I know. I'm trying to figure out if there's any clues that I could garner from the cover, but I'm just getting a very cozy fantasy vibe. I have the British cover with the yellow car with the broom strapped to the roof, which is a really cute detail, I love that. And do I have any predictions? Hmm. Well, it's a secret society, a very secret society of irregular witches, so possibly these are witches who have been cast out for some reason, are somehow outsiders. Maybe 
they get discovered by the majority of witches and have to try and justify their existence in some way. I want to say fight to survive, but I know this is cosy fantasy, so I'm assuming it's a little bit more chill than that. And maybe I'm reading way too much into it, and this is really just mainly about the developing romance. But I'm very excited to dive into this. Which classic novel, Soren? I don't know what you mean. <laughs> I think I was thinking of The Sound of Music. Is that a novel? No. I was trying to think, which classic novel has three kids? And I was like, are you thinking of like Jane Eyre, maybe? Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking about, to be perfectly honest. You know what? There probably is a classic novel out there where you have a governess come in because that's such a popular trope. Immediately, I'm like, Jane Eyre, Mary Poppins is a big one. And I also got the wrong quote that is significant to them because it's the Emma one. It's Emma, yeah. But yes. Persuasion is mentioned. Bizarrely enough, I had seen Found Made merch with the half agony, half hope quote that was also tagged with the Rose Secret Society for regular witches. No, it's Emma, the superior one, in my opinion. <laughs> Although I did, what was the moment where um, Jamie was holding her hand and then stopped holding her hand? They specifically mentioned his hand flexing at his side, and I immediately thought of Red and Prejudice because that deliberate, it must have been, surely, given all of the Austin references in this. It most definitely was, yep, yep. <laughs> Those are good preliminary impressions. I don't think I got anything wildly wrong. To be fair, I didn't go particularly well with predictions. Jamie's not a witch. That was wrong. Jamie is not a witch. They do not have to fight for their lives. They're not all murderous kids. Pack of feral murderers. <laughs> that was the impression that I got when you talked about it, Morgan. I was like, she's being swarmed by these children. <laughs> To be fair, they seem pretty willing to murder the solicitor. Yes, they're down 100%. So is Ian. Ian's like, yeah, let's murder. Let's kill. Casual murder on a Sunday. It's okay. Yeah. As long as you keep it casual, it remains cosy fantasy. As we've learned from our last episode, <laughs> when we had the mafia. But don't worry, it's cosy fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> that should be the disclaimer. Don't worry, it's cosy fantasy. <laughs> this did strike me as cosier overall. When the skeleton came out of the ground, I was like, wow, okay. Having reread this, I just need to talk about the foreshadowing for a second, because every five seconds, Jamie's like, ah, oh, all those secrets I have buried. And it's like, buried? And there's one point where he's like, well, I am known for hiding bodies. <laughs> you sure are, my dude. He's not trying to hide it very well. And then there's another part where I laughed out loud and I was like, I bet you this author is just having a freaking great time right now writing this sentence because Mika was like, I have many bones to pick with Lillian. And I'm like, do you know how many bones? <laughs> I have good news on that front. I got something to tell you, babe. So many bones. Pick any of them you want. All of them. Whole skeleton worth. Oh, it made me laugh the second time around. And I, the second time around, I realized how much of a focus there was on Lillian at the beginning. There was just like, when she comes back. And then like the whole family's just like, yep. Yep, when that happens. <laughs> They do react very weirdly when she mentions that the wards have to be re-upped as well. That did have me suspicious. I didn't think that they had buried her body in the garden, but I thought that something was happening. And the amount of times they mentioned the sunflowers, the second time around I was like, oh, the sunflowers, that's why. <laughs> this is why I love rereading books, because as someone with a terrible memory, I often forget a lot of things. But in a case like this, because I read this one originally, I think in October of last year, so it's very recent, I settled into it and I was like, this feels like coming home. I feel so good. You know when you watch a comfort movie 8,000 times mm. and you're just like, I know this back and forth. It felt like that. I don't have to be worried or stressed about anything because I know what happens. You miss those details, especially the foreshadowing stuff. And then you get to laugh with the author because you know too. <laughs> you now know. <laughs> exactly. Should we talk about the cover? 
Yes. And how the different covers we have. I do like both editions of the cover. Yes, me too. Because I'm Canadian, I was like, okay, I know I can order from the UK if I like the UK covers better because there's places like Blackwell's that ship for free, which is prime. And then I was like, oh no, they're both so nice. (laughs) (laughs) But I got this one because it was paperback. So, Mm -hmm. and I prefer reading paperbacks. Like the UK cover is so pretty. I got to get it at some point because it's so nice. It's the soft colors and the sort of dappled Mm -hmm. sunlight through the trees that gets me. Also the sort of fold over art, which is extremely cute. We have Cersei. Oh my God. I hadn't even noticed that before. I love it. The US cover reminds me of those magical romance novels that's name escaped me. It's like the X-Hex. It's more romance novel than it does cozy fantasy i think that cover that you guys have is more along the lines of the tj clune books that have been coming out Mm. honestly when i first saw that cover i was like is that another tj clune book (laughs) it's got the same vibe even if they got a really similar artist or the same artist and they just did a different style it gives off more cozy fantasy that one I think also the house is more like UK cottage kind of vibes. Yeah, because this is fully just a manor. Yeah, I feel like it's a sort of old house you'd see in the US rather than an old house you'd see in the UK. Yeah, I was like, where's the barn? Where's Ian and Ken's place? Who is everybody's favorite character? Sorry, you go first. Oh God, this means I have to choose? Well, I can't believe I actually came in here not at all prepared to answer that question. My brain's expecting you to say Jamie. But- I do think Miko was also a very strong contender though. I did love her and I liked that she was both a soft sunshine character but she had a lot of steel in her. Also, I mean, sorry, I've got to slip this in but to talk about Morgan's show, the Attic Monologues, for half a second. Mika and Jamie are literally Ambrose and Adri. We have a grumpy librarian and a potion seller slash tea aficionado made of sunshine. Listen... <laughs> I actually had not even thought about that until now. I love it. I'm going to use that in advertising for season two. Did you like this book? Give them depression and see what happens now. (laughs) Give them depression and then take away their cute cozy fantasy ending. Give it to them and then rip it out from underneath them. Oh no! (laughs) You know, it's a horror show. Never claimed to be cozy. So You sure it's not cozy horror? It is. That's the thing. Maybe we should advertise this cozy horror. Oh my god. Because it's slice of life and it's horror. It's cozy horror. Oh my god. We're coining a new genre. Let's go, guys. But yeah, Mika was lovely. I really loved Mandana bringing in her alienation from her culture and stuff and how she connected to the girls on that level. Really appreciated that. Hit me a little close to home. Speaking on that, I really liked the line where Mika was like, I had to take all the adults aside and be like, just because I am a woman of colour does not mean I can teach these children how to be women of colour. Because we're all different. It's that part in the middle where Mika is just listing all the things that she didn't realize that she would have to take on as a tutor of magic. And she's just like, also the token POC. And I'm just like, yeah, oh no. And when Madonna like brought that in, it was so gently done. It was just so perfect. And every comment that she had after that about like the fact that, yes, these girls are different. And not just because they're witches, just because there are people of color and they're going to have to go through the world being different. And I was like, oh God, it hits too hard. I love this book so much. I don't know who my favorite character is. My brain is ping-ponging between Ian and Mika and Jamie. That's just because I want Jamie. (laughs) That's the only reason. It's very understandable. I also low-key want Mika too, but like... (laughs) Maybe they'd be open to it. Who knows? Maybe. But then Rosetta is just so sweet. The little girl. So I think my favorite girl is Rosetta. But my favorite character is probably Mika. How could I not pick Mika? She's so good. One 10 out of 10 protagonist. 
I think my favourite girl is definitely Terracotta because I just love a murderous child. Absolute icon every single time. My favourite character, main characters are so rarely my favourite character because they're Mm. so rarely well written because you get through their eyes so you don't have to give them too much character is what usually ends up happening. But Mika is given so much character. But then I think seeing her through Jamie's eyes specifically is what makes her such a rounded character and the way that Jamie gets so quickly defensive and is like, um, no, your life is f***ed up. You deserve to be loved. You know that, right? And just that, I think I have to pick Jamie actually because of the way that he's so angrily defensive and it's like, I really want to hate you, but... I just can't. <laughs> I just can't. You're just too, too upset and I simply must cuddle you like a bedraggled cat and teach you that you are loved. Protect you. I must keep you safe. Who's your favorite kid, Soren? Um, I think it was also Rosetta. I'm a sucker for like the slightly more quiet and bookish kids because I remember being that child. Rosetta just gets me. I think it's because of the bookstore scene. Like she gets a little bit more personality than the rest of them because she gets a little bit more page time. And I'm just like, Rosetta, what a sweetie. (laughs) I want to protect them all. She also gets to play straight man to the other kids a little bit. It's always fun. You got to have the mom kid. You got to have the mom figure. I do have to question Lillian's naming choices a bit. I understand that there was a theme, but Terracotta is not a name for a child. It just isn't. No. I have to also question Sangu Madana's use of those names and then not giving them immediate nicknames and calling them Terra, Rose, and Mira. Like, they're right there. Give them nicknames. Especially little kids are going to like give their sisters names because they're just not going to be bothered to say the whole name. Exactly. And I'm just a slut for some good nicknames. So every character I have is given a nickname. I think also I would have liked a little bit of a dressing of like, a white witch came in and named these children of colour these names. This feels deeply uncomfortable. I was hoping that we would find out their original names and also Umika's original name. Maybe as part of the resolution with Primrose. Maybe not Lillian because she's not there to be like, oh, it was this. Because she's probably the only one that knows or knew. So... Yeah, or you could find the will with their actual names in it. But it, yeah, it was a weird thing where like Mika mentioned it and then the whole entire family was like, no, we changed their names because we don't want them to be found. And I'm like, mm. can still connect them to their cultures at least, you know, you don't have to give them very strange names. These kids aren't witches, not at all. Let's name them Terracotta, Rosetta and Altamira. <laughs> There's nothing suspicious about these. Don't look over here. Mika Moon is also definitely not suspicious. I think the first time that I read this, I thought that Mika Moon was her like stage name that she used for her channel. But then there was never any mention of any other name. So Primrose has got some good naming skills. Her sister, not at all. Even when they changed their names to names that were still floral names and used the same first two initials so that they didn't get found. I was like, that's not going to help at all. Lillian to Lily is, again, that's just a nickname. That's the same name. That's the same name. At least Primrose to Peony is a little different, but... Shall we chat about tropes? Tropes. Grumpy X Sunshine. Literally the epitome of Grumpy X Sunshine. This book is what solidified that trope as one of my favorite tropes, if not my favorite trope in romance. The part in here where Mika walks into the library and Jamie's just like brooding and he's just like, oh, she's so irritatingly perfect. And I'm like, buddy, I was giving it a little to the favorite quotes, but the best one is she was so aggravatingly, relentlessly sunshiny. I'm like, yeah, buddy, get it. (laughs) (laughs) And the fact that he's so mad about the fact that she was helping a bee. (laughs) 
Just yesterday, he'd gone outside to speak to Ken and found her kneeling on the front path, spoon feeding a bee. A bee! And I'm like, buddy. It's giving big get out of my school vibe. Yes! Like, you're too perfect. Get out. I also really love how it's, like, played properly because I feel like a lot of the times this trope is played as, like, the brooding bad boy who's just Mm -hmm. an... And is, like, but she's okay, I guess. And I hate everybody else. Whereas Jamie has reasons for being... has reasons for not trusting Mika and is very kind to everybody but her. So it's like a reversal of that trope. And he's very kind in general, but he's just not nice, as Mika says many times. So we're in that same scene when she says something that like triggers him to laugh. And she's like, you should do that more often. And he's like, what? Laugh? I'm like, ah! Returning the trope of like, you should do that more often. Smile. I laughed so hard. It was so good. It was very cute. I can't say the Grumpy X Sunshine is one of my favorite ship dynamics. I don't really gravitate towards it. And often it can suffer because the, the sunshine is genuinely just sunshine all the way down with no real depth. But for me, it is that cover up of a lot of vulnerability and a lot of loneliness that it works so well because it is a front, even though she is like a good person. Like that's not fake, but the reason that she projects it. It's the ability to also be able to go deeper, right? Mm. And I think the second biggest trope in this one is definitely the found family, which is my favorite trope of all time. It's just any found family book, I cry <laughs> so hard all the time because I'm just like, ah, it's perfect. Look at these people <laughs> loving each other for no reason other than they love each other. Ah, And it's actually found family again. Recently, we've had a lot of books that have been like, not on the podcast in general, I thought it's been a deluge of people being like, this is found family. And you walk into it and you're like, these are co-workers. Where's the family? That's forced proximity. That's Stockholm Syndrome. No. If they can walk away <laughs> from each other at the end of the plot, I don't want it. The only way you're getting out of this death. <laughs> Which Jamie basically says about Ian again. <laughs> you're never dying. Absolutely not. <laughs> Ever. I don't know any other tropes. Skeletons in the closet. <laughs> Except this time they're under the sunflowers. <laughs> I feel like this is a trope that is fine because it's basically a Hallmark movie, but Deus Ex Machina. Because mm. everything is conveniently solved at the end by the fact that Primrose and Peony are the same person. But it's okay because it's a Hallmark movie. If it was like an actual high stakes fantasy, I'd be like, leave, please. <laughs> but it's okay. I think it also worked because it gave Mika a little bit of closure with the Primrose storyline. She was just so adamantly like, no, Primrose can never know about these girls. She will take them and tear them apart. And then she was like, well, you know what? It's the only option at this point. So girls, meet your new grandma Primrose. Completely agree though. Because yeah, okay, it comes a bit out of left field if you don't see the foreshadowing. But it is the culmination of Mika's character arc. It kind of had to happen in some way, shape or form. And I think this is actually quite a neat way of bringing it all together. Mm -hmm. And it kind of gave an end to the Primrose storyline as well, just for Mm -hmm. Primrose as a character. So she's not just this like the matriarch because she's the oldest and the bossiest. She actually has trauma too. This is why she did all this to Mika and why she rules in the way that she rules. I like what they did at the end with the Lillian storyline because it gave her reason and it gave Mika a chance to be like, listen, you messed up and I still love you. It's okay. <laughs> like you have your own trauma. Deal with it, please. It ties back into the generational trauma thing because Mika is seeing it play out with the girls and it's like, oh no, I don't want this to happen. So it just makes sense for it to like extend. A trope that wasn't in this book that I was very happy about miscommunication all of the communication was deliberately incorrect just lying (laughs) miscommunication is the worst trope of all time it makes me so mad because i'm like no 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 no. just talk to each other 
Yeah, but here it was triggered by them talking to each other was kind of almost the problem. Like, Jamie did that confession, which is what set me up. I mean, obviously he should have done it because he needed to tell her. But it was refreshing that it wasn't like that she found out in some dramatic way. It was really nice that yeah. he was like, I'm going to tell you this now. And she was like, okay, I'm going to go yeah. process this now. Goodbye. Agreed. And I think for most romance books, the like 75% like darkest moment is the part where I'm just like, no, come on. Like, it's just drama for the sake of drama. This was the first time that I read a romance-based book that had a very, very viable reason for one of them to walk away. I would have done the same thing. I would have removed myself from the situation because that's a blatant betrayal of who she is. After specifically her saying that she hated being around these people that used her like a tool and they were using her. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I love this. But then it's also wrapped up pretty quickly too. It's not like drawn on and Hmm. brooding in depression. I thought it was done really well and really tastefully. How do we feel about the general prose, the writing style? Very easy to read, quick, conversational, way more in there than I thought there were going to (laughs) be. Jamie is bringing up the total. It was so good. And I think it was Altamira who swore. You know, she's like, I'll stop saying it once Ian and Jamie stop. And Mika's just like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> Valid. Damn it, Primrose. One of my favorite things about this writing style is page one. We immediately get a sense of Mika as a character. Right away, just a comment. Oh, for the love of f***ing God, Primrose, what does this have to do with me? Like... <laughs> You didn't have to have over the love of God. It could just be like, Primo's, what does that have to do with me? But the fact that the swears are there, like you just get a perfect image of who Mika is. And I love it. It feels like very realistic speech. Like mm-hmm. It feels like how people actually talk to their friends and to each other. Yeah, it is so nice. Like Mika does use character. And I don't read that much romance, but when I have picked up romances, one of the things that I found annoying occasionally is a lead who just feels like a complete stand-in. Like she could be literally anybody. Mm-hmm. She has no hobbies and no interests and no personality and no voice. Could not be further from the case here. Agree. And I think the writing really supports that. And also just all the cute little cozy descriptions, like the description of Noah House when Mika first sees it and all of the lavender beds. It's very picturesque. I think that's what it is for me. Like I was thinking about just in general, like what cozy fantasy means because it is such a new genre right or a new term Mm. and it's very internet based and very western based or very white based as well because of the fact that it's coined in north america and then in the uk it's very very popularized there and it's popularized with our way of telling stories so it's always interesting to me to think about what cozy fantasy means to the reader Mm. for me it's like just fill it with atmosphere please (laughs) like i just need all these descriptions and this book kills the game Every single description, I sit there and I'm like, please, I just want to be there. I want to be in these pages. And I think one of the things with fantasy specifically is when magic is described, a lot of it or like the rules of magic aren't described very well. But in here, we get like a step by step of Mika making potions and like why she's doing it and her steps. And it's just so magical. I love it so much. It's all very like tactile and I feel like you can envision yourself doing it in a weird way as opposed to it just sort of being magic. It's this nebulous thing. You really get the sense of why she loves making potions so much and what that experience is like from a sensory point of view. It's very grounding, I think, giving us concrete rules that do with the magic and it's just beautifully done. And the characterization of the magic as a conscious thing that can be negotiated with and that like switches and is trying to help them out. That's such a fun idea. I can easily see that being in like a high fantasy story. I guess in the context of like the genre itself in cozy fantasy, this kind of leads to my previous 
comment on like what cozy fantasy means to me myself but like what does cozy fantasy mean to you guys low stakes Mm. soft vibes Mm -hmm. magic that is not happy but magic that's sort of soft i feel like a hard magic system is hard to do in a low stakes like imagine brandon sanderson's misborn but cozy (laughs) that just does not line up I feel like theoretically you could do a hard magic system. Arguably, this is a hard magic system because there are rules. So, and like they're well explained. Just not privy to all of them. But yeah, it is more about the rules than about like you feel the magic in your heart. Yeah, low stakes for me as well is maybe the main thing. I don't know if it's even that certain themes can't be touched because I think some really heavy stuff does get touched in this, like child abuse and grief. Domestic violence with Lucy's backstory. I remember like I must have, forgotten that happened in the first read the second read i was like oh oh no lucy no sweetheart i can't i think it's how things are cared for and almost giving you like a a general sense of like even though things are bad it's gonna be okay right it's giving you that soft place to land kind of a thing as a safety net. I heard someone on TikTok describe it as kind of like like cozy fantasy to them can fall into like two categories, which is the Hobbit cozy fantasy or the Nazgul fantasy. So you have the Hobbit, which is literally like the first two chapters of the Fellowship of the Ring where you're just in the Shire doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And then like the Nazgul is like the higher stakes, some kind of a threat. Like I just read Cancel Treason Without Tea by Rebecca Thorne. It, to me, isn't... It's like cozy fantasy adjacent. And I know that the author is always just like, you could have cozy fantasy with all these things. Dragon fights and aerial magic and tenseness. And I'm just like, no, (laughs) please only give me soft vibes. I don't want dragon fights, please. I think cozy fantasy is very subjective. Yeah. And I think some people on TikTok are saying low trigger for them is cozy and i'm like sure but if you go into this is it low trigger there's a lot of stuff in there that's triggering for people right like i think it's just the way it's handled yeah i think it's the way that things are discussed there's nothing graphic or you know there's no violence in this even if there is implied violence off the page whatever violence or whatever hardships are offered in these things are given to you in such a beautifully wrapped up gift Like when Lillian's body is discovered in this book, it's a beautiful scene. Mm. The whole thing leading up to that moment where she goes onto the beach, she just magically has these beautiful fairy lights around her. And then they come back up to the sunflowers and they're like, they look like they're glowing. And I'm like, it's so pretty. And then there's a skeleton. It's wrapped in so much beauty that I think it's given that cozy atmosphere. I think that's what it is. Can we talk about... Favorite quotes or favorite moments that people might have? I shared a couple of my favorite quotes earlier from the why is she so sunshiny part. There's another one on page 130 of my copy. It's only really one of my favorites because of the whole situation, but it's she held back the fear and doubt and let only her delight show. Both times that I read this book, I've highlighted it and underlined it like eight times. As such an anxious person myself, the fear of it not being real would have overwhelmed me. And the fact that she just is just like, the fear is there, but I'm holding it back and I'm 
reveling in this delight. I'm like, yes, Mika, let's go. My favorite scene in this entire book, it's when she's catching Starlight. That scene has imprinted itself in my brain like nothing else. Mika on her balcony, framed by the night sky, catching stars, and Jamie just sitting there like, she's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Oh my God. And the fact that after he's like, you want to touch it? And he's like, we're literally touching stars. And she's like, would it make it less magical if I told you that we're all made of starlight? And he's just like, actually more. And I'm like, same, babe. And then the continuation of bringing up starlight afterwards just kills me. The callback afterwards when he's like listing the things about her in his head and he's like, and a girl that tells you that you're made of starlight. I don't think there's been a single moment since the day you told me we're all made up of stardust that I haven't wanted you. And I'm like, okay, Jamie. I don't think I've ever been so quickly sold on a romance. Before that, they were interacting and I was like, obviously this is the love interest. I don't know how I feel about them. As soon as that scene had happened, I was like, okay, 100% in. When he starts bringing up pink gin instead of whiskey. Yeah, that was cute. And the fact that she noticed that he hated Cersei's hair everywhere. Yes. Mm. And then the fact that she's just like, no, I've been spilling it away because I noticed it bothered you. And I'm like, stab me. It's fine. It's the little thing. The casual thoughtfulness. I think that's really what makes this book for me. And it's this deep, unending human feeling of being wanted Mm. and being not lonely. And I'm just like, oh, that hits too close to home. When I first read it, I read the author's note at the back and she had written, we were eight months into the pandemic and all I wanted to work on was a warm, cozy, romantic story about magic and family, love and human connection. This book oozes with that, right? Mika being so lonely and finding a place to just belong. It's as much a love story between Mika and Jamie as a love story between Mika and the whole family. Even when Jamie does his like, can you come back thing? It's, can you come back to us and not can you come back to me? Yes, and the bits at the end, Mika glares at them and she's like, you've decided now is the time to protect me? Really? Why? And then it goes, because you've been protecting us since you got here, says Terracotta. Because we want you to be safe, said Altamira. Because we love you, said Rosetta. And then Jamie's just like, yep. And I'm like, It's the whole vibe of collectiveness, which is like so missing from society these days. And like, it takes a village. That's the whole vibe of the family. We all come together to look after these kids. And at the end of the day, the kids are the priority, not even the romance. We have to make sure that we make the world better for them. And the fact that that's what Mika and Jamie find in common is that they both want things to be better for them. Despite these sort of opposites attract thing on a fundamental level, they are completely aligned there. And the fact that Even when she's leaving, she's like, okay, well, I will be back because I have to protect these girls no matter what. And I'm like, that's just, oh my God. In any other romance book, it would be a complete cutoff. Yeah. She would be like, no, I'm done 100%. And then everyone would be panicking because she's the only one who can fix this. Just because it would up the drama, but it would be completely out of character. Mm. Agreed. Jen, do you want to start us off with your final thoughts? Well, if you couldn't tell by my entire just word vomiting love of this book, it gets five stars. I wish I could give it 20. It's perfect. This reread, I'm like, this is one of my favorite books of all time. It is so good. Well, my final thoughts are just, I wish I was Ian's Flamingo Pink Wool. I just wish I was. It's fine. <laughs> It's also five stars for me. It feels like a warm hug on mm-hmm. a cold day. It feels like you're cuddled up in front of the fire with tea and a book and a cat. It is... The epitome of the vibes were given out at the Hidden Bookcase. Yeah, I realised that we've accidentally stylized ourselves cosy fantasy. I didn't think cosy fantasy existed as a term when we started, but then I was thinking about it and I was like, we've got the fireplace, got the cat. We should write a novel set at the Hidden Bookcase. Are we in it? <laughs> we'll self-insert character. Just start doing one of those auditory kind of things where you just tell stories. Hidden Bookcase ASMR when? <laughs> Soren. 
How did you find this book? I'm very discerning with my five stars, but I think I would also <gasps> give this five stars. Yay. It touches upon such complex themes so gracefully and delicately, but with so much heart. It has a beautiful atmosphere. The characters are really lovable and well-rounded. All of the writing is really good from the dialogue to the prose. What more could you want? Nothing. I mean, a sequel, but other than that, literally nothing. Tango Montana. We gotta get Tango Montana on the phone, please. Please! We can start a petition. We've already got three signatures. <laughs> I joke, but I was trying to get this in a bit of a rush because I hadn't planned ahead. And I tried like five bookshops and eventually went to the Waterstones in Piccadilly thinking it was a safe bet because it's the biggest bookshop in Europe. And I was like, do you have this? And they were like, it's sold out all over London. There isn't a single coffee. Terrifying. And then while I was there, I overheard someone at the counter who was like, do you have a copy of Legends and Lattes? And they were like, we don't have any left. So I think there's like a cozy fantasy mania, at least sweeping across the UK. I would love that to stay on trend a little longer. That'd be great. It's my favorite place to be. Speaking of which, thank you so much for being here, Jen. Is there anything that you want to plug? Yes. Hi. I am an author of Cozy Fantasies. I am self-publishing a cozy fantasy called A Second Story, which is the first in a companion series of novels that are all set in the same seaside town called Arrowmount. This first one is gay. It's sweet. It's about two adventurers who decide to stop adventuring and buy a bookshop by the sea and live their very best lives. And as of this episode coming out, it will have been out for four whole days. So if you want to check it out, the link for that will be in the show notes. I'm also a YouTuber and a TikToker, and I'm active on Instagram and Twitter. The easiest place to find me is probably TikTok. My TikTok is Jen's Bookshelf, and Jen with two N's. We'll have all of your links in the show notes if people are looking to find you. I also have a video podcast <laughs> that is only available on YouTube as of right now. It's called The Shared Shelf. It's a bookish and writerly podcast where I bring friends on and we chat about nothing. So <laughs> it's great. Do we have any recommendations for people that enjoy the very secret society of regular witches and are looking for something of a similar vibe? I'm going to be really rogue with my recommendations. Go for it, be rogue. These have similar vibes in my brain. You make your own decisions though. So the first one is Belladonna by Adeline Grace, which I've seen marketed recently as Bridgerton meets fantasy. But it's basically about this girl all of her guardians have ended up dead and then she moves in with her cousins and she figures out that if she eats five belladonna berries which is enough to kill her then she takes on the powers of death and death is like could you stop doing that please i have been trying to protect you for the last 19 years and it's a murder mystery set in like a vaguely 1800s-esque world it's great and it's a romance it ends on a cliffhanger the sequel comes out sometime this year and my other recommendation it's called the drowned woods by emily lloyd jones it's a retelling of a welsh myth and it's all about this bisexual thief woman and basically there's a plot to drown the entirety of wales there's fairies there's a corgi it's not exactly cozy and there's very high stakes but it's also kind of chill at the same time mm -hmm. i know what you mean because I've read her other YA book, The Bone Houses. Could be a recommendation? Not really. There's nothing that I've read that's like this book. Literally, it's just Legends and Lattes or The House in the Cerulean Sea. But I will never recommend The House in the Cerulean Sea because of the connotations around the author. And you guys talked about Legends and Lattes already. So <laughs> it's like, what else could I recommend? <laughs> and I was just thinking about books that make me feel at home. And I'm like, well, the only book that I can think about is freaking Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> so I don't know if that's a recommendation. Emma or Pride and Prejudice? The Bone Houses as well. It's horror, but it feels soft and fairy tale like because of the descriptions. I think that's what it is. It's just, it's very chill. I think that's honestly it that I could recommend for this. I was racking my brain and I'm like, I, I couldn't think of anything. How about you, Soren? 
Yeah, I was also coming up pretty empty. I was going to mention, if you've listened to this show, odds are you've probably read this because we've done, when this is out, there'll be two books we've done from this series. But the Last Binding series, maybe not quite as cosy. Um, there are some higher stakes, there's some more violence and murder, I guess. But romance-focused, natural-focused magic, something about the prose just felt reminiscent to me. Maybe even something about the dynamic, if you're like a grumpy librarian, <laughs> there's another one in a marvellous light. So, And then I have a poem. Tell us about the poem. You can read it for free on the Uncanny website, Uncanny Magazine. And the poem is called The Witch Makes Her To-Do List by Theodora Goss. And it just really reminded me of Mika. It's just the most cosy fantasy vibe. It's just about a witch going about her little daily life and just enjoying her little cottage, etc. It's the lowest stakes thing ever. It's just very cute. I love it. For the last Cozy Fantasy episode we're doing, we're doing my recommendation, which is Wingraph's 2023 Cozy Romance Special, which features two stories, Withered by Catherine Yates and The Cunning Plan by Julie Bozer. These are two short stories, so something short and sweet to end the month off. And that episode will be out on Monday the 29th of May. Until then, you're always welcome through the bookcase. Don't forget to scratch the cat on your way out. Thank you for listening to The Hidden Bookcase, a production of Planar Prod. On this episode, you heard Jen Collignon, Morgan Greensmith, and Soren Brywood discussing The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches by Sangu Mandana, with editing by Kit Lovick. You can find out more about this book at sangumandana.com, and you can follow Mandana on Twitter, at Sangu Mandana. A huge thank you to Jen for joining us for this episode, it was magical to have you. You can find her at Jen's bookshelf on TikTok, and all of Jen's socials are linked in the show notes of this episode, as well as links to her cosy fantasy novel, A Second Story, and her video podcast, The Shared Shelf. You can find The Hidden Bookcase on Twitter at Hidden Bookcase and on Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr and TikTok at Hidden Bookcase Podcast. Find out more about Planar Prod at planarprod.com. Know what we should read next? Or want to chat to us about what you thought of this episode's read? You can reach us at thehiddenbookcase at gmail.com or send us a DM on social media. We'd love to hear from you. If you're enjoying The Hidden Bookcase, please consider leaving us a rating or a review. Or you can always tell a friend how to find us. Your whispers are the best way for bookworms to discover our show. On our next episode, which will be out on Monday, the 29th of May, we'll be discussing Wingraph's 2023 cosy romance special, which features two short stories, Withered by Catherine Yates and The Cunning Plan by Julie Bozer. We hope to see you then, and in the meantime, you're always welcome through the bookcase. <laughs>